You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and we begin this show this week under a bit of a dark cloud of heaviness. Um, but I don't want it to remain that way. I mean, I feel like we, we begin this in, in reverence, in reverence of a loss of one of our great leaders, Ruth. Bader Ginsburg, and what a leader, what a revolutionary, what a change agent, what a compassionate woman who knew what her job was, but also was a woman of faith. Um, May she rest in power, may she rest in peace, may her legacy continue on and on and on. Um, it is it is with deep sadness that we begin our show um, under the shadow of the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And it's it's a hard one. It's a hard one, but I think that we also need to begin by celebrating what she has done. And, and especially in the narrative of the show that we're going to be talking about today about really what, what does faith look like when it's kind of walked out. Um, and, and there were some beautiful words that were laid out through uh, Religion News Service um, in their article that um, entitled Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, was shaped by her faith. And the article says this, and I feel like it's, it's, very, it's very telling of her. A phrase from the book of Deuteronomy hangs on the wall of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's Supreme Court chamber. Justice, justice, you shall pursue. When I think back upon her life and her legacy and her impact, I I, I see a person that that was very keenly aware of of who they were as, as a judge, but also as a person of faith, as a Jew. She knew very, very well what it was to be able to do both. And I think so oftentimes, especially within American Christianity, we boiled it down to like, I'm a Christian. That's all I am. I'm a Christian first and foremost. You know, but but I think that that life is 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 more complicated than that. I think that we need to be able to be who we are, people of of faith and a people of work. Um, because I feel like too often we end up being a people that use our faith as a cop out action. But when you look at the life of Ginsburg, what I really begin to see is, is, is how much she used her faith and her experiences hand in hand to be able to make changes. Um, in the article, they say this very well from, from an interview with her. Uh, she saw 
being a Jew as having a place in society in which you're always reminded that you're an outsider. Even when she was a Supreme Court justice, she was the ultimate insider. And as Ginsburg liked to put it, it makes you more empathetic to other people who are not insiders, who are outsiders. And I think that that is one thing that I think the Christian faith, at least in America, has, has lost. They've lost the idea that the centrality, the central message of the kingdom of God is that we are all outsiders, that we all live outside the shadow of the empire in Jesus' time. And during the time of the first century church, the church existed, the church thrived as being an organization that was outside the power structures of that time. Why? Well, Rome was a great power. Rome was a great political power and, and, a, and a sign and a show of humanity's might and power and hubris. But Rome also didn't care about those on the outside. They didn't care about the marginalized. They didn't care about who they were squashing in their pursuit of power. Because absolute power just seeks more power and doesn't care what happens in the end. See, to be a person of faith is to align yourself with the outsider, with the maligned, with the forgotten, with the ostracized, with the immigrant, with whoever does not fit in within the prevailing power structures of that time. Christianity has always been at its best and will continue to be at its best and most effective when it is operating in the margins of society. And I don't mean this as some sort of weird, like, secretive, like, Illuminati kind of a thing. No, no, no. I mean as, as, a, as, <laughs> as a humble movement that seeks, that seeks to restore those that have had their dignity pulled away from them, that gives names to the nameless, that gives voice to the voiceless. Ruth Bader Ginsburg understood that. She understood that that was her charge and, and call that was given to her by her faith. She spent her life devoted to the betterment of others, towards giving a voice to those that needed representation. And with a sad heart, we remember her life and, and, and celebrate it but I'm still also left being very sad in the midst of this because I feel like people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg are too few and far between. We need more Ruth Bader Ginsburgs, not on the Supreme Court. Well, never mind. We can always handle more of them on the Supreme Court. <laughs> but we actually need more of them in our communities and our neighborhoods. Volunteering around our neighborhoods and helping those that need to be helped. If we only mourn her in social media sentiment and a few moments of, of sobbing and feelings of loss, then we have not really celebrated or understood her life. If we truly want to mourn her life, we need to do what she did. 
we need to continue to devote our lives towards towards those that do not have representation, towards those that do not have a voice, towards those that need to be heard and seen and given the dignity to live in this world equally as everyone. And I saw this posted earlier, and this is a great reminder of just some, just some of her accomplishments of leading us as a nation towards seeing all people as equal. So I saw this earlier. Um, it said this. It said, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a leading force in securing women's rights to, this is crazy, to obtaining a mortgage without a male cosigner, to opening a checking account without a male cosigner. See, see, see a little pattern we got going here. Start a business without a male cosigner, get a credit card without a male cosigner, obtain a business loan without a male cosigner, obtain a job without gender-based discrimination, uh, obtain and retain employment while pregnant, obtain birth control without having to obtain a husband's permission, not to be forced to provide proof of sterilization to obtain and retain employment, uh, that pension benefits were equal to that of their male co-workers and equal consideration to be executors of their children's estates. Well, I begin this, this, this show on, on a bit of a somber term, um, giving her, I hope, the time that I feel like she is due. Because I, I want us to simply just remind ourselves that instead of, of, of us being sad here, I feel like we need to take up what she did and do better. And in a time where it feels like, I feel like people of faith nowadays are just characters and stereotypes that deserve to be characters and stereotypes because they're not really people of faith. And, and what I want to do today, in the midst of all of this political crazy shitstorm that we are living in right now, I think we need to be kind of devoting talking about what does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus? In these times, simple talk, simple talk, <laughs> yeah, because like Ginsburg, we should also be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, meaning that I can think and be a Christian. I know it's weird. It's bizarre. You may have never heard anyone say that before, but certain Christians can be thinkers. I know it's not really their strong points, but we're going to try to go back to, you know, Christianity of the thinking, that's the hope today. That's the hope to kind of go back and say, well, when people try to say that this election is all about this or this or this, let's just return to being a people that think. Not people of political parties, but a people that can think and a people that can, are adult enough to be able to hone, hold and own their own faith. I don't feel like that's too much to ask. And as I've begun the show... <laughs> I'm reminding myself, hey, uh, you're a newbie to this show, and I've just been on a 10-minute rant and remembrance of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, but just a reminder to you, oh, hey, welcome to the show. Sorry I took it off without even, it was rude of me not to welcome you in. If you're new here and you've still hung around, it's great to have you. Snarky Faith is a place where we're able to talk about the insanity of Christianity and really kind of then kind of put it through a colander and kind of figure out, hey, where's Jesus in all of this? There's, there's a whole lot of industrial, corporate, 
capitalistic, materialistic structure that has become the church. But you know, Jesus, somewhere in there, I'm pretty sure he is. We try to kind of go back to that. We call out the BS in Christianity because, hey, it's fun and it's kind of our job to call BS out when BS is being done in the name of the Lord. It's kind of that much fun. So we here at Snarky Faith, um, the goal here is to be able to, hey, let's talk sanely about faith and religion and what it looks like to walk out in the world today. Let's not get wrapped up in a bunch of other crazy thinking or pie in the sky, overly spiritual thoughts. No, 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 no. Let's just, let's make this real. Let's make this rational. Let's make this brass tacks. So in order for us to have a conversation is how do you remain sane? How do you remain a, a sane and political person um, and a religious person in this time? So how can we do this? Ha ha! You've come to the right place. And if you're new here to the show, just a reminder, which I probably should have warned you ahead of time, when you're here for Snarky Faith, you're gonna have to expect that we're talking about faith and news and politics with a, a copious amount of sarcasm. And depending on my mood, you may either get a little bit or a lot bit of So yeah, now you know what you're getting yourself into. Let's go ahead and hop in to the Christian Crazy of the Week. Claude Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. So in the Christian Crazy this week, we love to highlight the hypocrisy of Christianity where somehow faith and practice don't somehow make sense. But, you know, that doesn't stop many people. So... I've got, I've got a newbie, and this newbie is coming on pretty strong, uh-huh. Sheila Zelinsky is a prophetess and a conspiracy theorist, and Sheila's got some thoughts. So as you listen to Sheila's, whatever Sheila does, let's try to think of this, like, how does this work practically within a Christian mindset? I don't know. She's not thinking about it, but you should be. Is LeBron James just an athlete? Well, I believe this expose, we're going to take a little dive into what I believe is quite frightening. Now, here you're going to see this chalk ritual toss, what the sports world calls it a chalk toss, but it's simply a disguise for what he's really doing, a high-level conjuring, a spell, an incantation from this Illuminati wizard where he's summoning demons. I believe he's conjuring up demons before every game. Why? Why was this, was this not in my fantasy basketball information? Seriously, I would totally have not, like, I would have not drafted LeBron if I knew that he was doing, like, Illuminati, like, demon spirits before this. Oh, it's disgusting. That's why the Lakers keep winning, those Illuminati demons. Yeah, I, we all know this is nuts, right? Right. But you know what? This is also the kind of stuff that distracts Christians from ever doing anything that Jesus told them to do. Because it's easy to get outraged at outlandish conspiracy theories and other kind of things like that. But you know what? You know what's really hard? <laughs> Loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Helping those in the community around you. Those things. Oh, no, 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 no. We would rather be coked up on... QAnon conspiracy theories and talks of the tribulation and the end times. And they all have the same result. They distract us from doing anything. And they're ridiculous. And the people that believe in them also just happen to make 
holidays very uncomfortable for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Folks like Sheila have too much voice in the world today, especially within Christian circles. I think we've only got about one more chance for a little crazy. So let me look at my magic Christian crazy eight ball of the day and figure out who's the winner. I don't have a special effect for that. Our winner this week is none other than True News' host, Rick Wiles. And yes, if you want to hang around after the show, you get a little bonus Rick Wiles. But wait for that until later. But yes, Rick Wiles, who hosts True News, a Christian news broadcast that has press credentials to the White House. Rick's going to talk about Donald Trump vaccines, and it's going to get crazy and a bit awkward here. So, Rick? He was anti-vaccine in 2016. It's one of the reasons we voted for him. Yeah, he seems to have forgotten that meeting with Andrew Wakefield in uh, Okeechobee in 2016. uh, I think a lot of us were concerned that his son, Barron, has autism because of a vaccine. Now, that's a private thing with the Trump family, but that's what we were told in 2016. (laughs) I'm so sorry. What you're seeing here is a phenomenon. We have a confluence. We have a confluence of crazy Christians, anti-vaxxers, and Trump supporters, like kind of all coming together to, I really appreciate, I really appreciate Rick Wallace's discretion of mentioning that Baron Trump has autism because of vaccines, and that's only a private manner that only the family knows. But yeah, guess what, Rick? You got a show. Oh my God, and I have a show too. Oh my God, Baron, I'm so sorry. No, I'm not. This is all nuts. This is all crazy nutter butters. And it has nothing to do with Christianity. Pfft, none of it. So even though this, this next story feels <laughs> it should be in the Christian crazy, because you know what? Let's let's what is the criteria for the Christian crazy? Is it Christian in nature? Yes. Is it absolutely insane? Yes. Okay. Uh, but this 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 kind of transitions more into our, our larger topic that we want to be delving in today on the show. Uh, and within that, what I want to be talking about. As I kind of began, start, uh, as I started the hour talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, and her life that was encapsulated by her works and also her faith. And, and it feels like in many ways that we, we have moved into an era in the United States where, where nuance is dead. And we are not really able to think beyond the headlines of stories because we're not willing to read. And so what has happened many times in America with any, any kind of discourse is, well, there really is not much discourse happening in America today. I'll just put it like this. And, and in this time, especially in this time of election, when everything is getting very heated up, um, and America is already at a place where it is very, very, very divisive and, and divided and polarized. I offer you this. I offer you an example of someone not being able to own their faith and walk it out very well. Because my example is they don't know their damn job. So again, Ginsburg, how do I do my job? How do I live up my faith? How can I do both? And again, 
I love religionnews.com. I love the religious news service. But I will say, hey, guys, come on. Your headlines kind of spoil everything. Let's talk about this article here from Jack Jenkins called The Head of the Federal Election Commission Calls for Separation of Church and State a Fallacy. And 2020 election is a spiritual war. So, hey. (laughs) So we shouldn't be terrified or anything because this is real. I'm just going to go ahead and just read the beginning of the article and kind of let some of it sit there and let you be able to smell like a fresh turd on the carpet from your dog. The head of the election commission chastised Catholic bishops during a pair of interviews this week, accusing church hierarchy of hiding behind their nonprofit status and declaring that this year's U.S. election amounts to a spiritual war that threatens the country's, quote, Christian moral principles. So, first of all, let's, let's... Let's let's just just let me just read kind of what I'm saying again, but breaking out what I said. So the head, the head of the Federal Elections Commission, head of the FEC, the governmental position. That that guy. Mm-hmm. What is he doing? I'm literally just reading what I read you a second ago. He's chastising Catholic bishops. <laughs> what? He's chastising Catholic, I know this is all nuts, chastising Catholic bishops that that they are hiding behind their nonprofit status and that the election that they're not paying attention to really is a spiritual war that is threatening the country's Christian moral principles. Now, I know we've seen a lot of this crazy BS from pastors in the Christian crazy because that's what they do. That's their brand. That's how they make their bread and butter. That's how the bacon comes home, right? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Yep, yep, yep. That's a thing. Now, now, let me finish. I'm really just picking apart the literal words of the facts that are happening. FEC Chairman James E., quote, Trey Trainer III, made these remarks during an interview released Wednesday, uh, September 16th, by the Church Militant. By Church Militant, a controversial Catholic media outlet, and separate uh, in a separate phone and interview by the Religious News Service. So, first of all, that sounds like a fun thing, right? Why aren't we all reading the Church Militant? Oh, that what Church Militant? Where does Jesus fit in in any of those words? Church Mil, I. Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. But this, but this, but this. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to just, I'm trying not to treat people like they're stupid out there. We have the, the, the chairman of the FEC calling out Catholic bishops, telling them that we are in the midst of a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, a spiritual war. That's what's going on nowadays, folks. Huh? 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 Yeah, yeah. This is government. This is government. Yeah. Yeah. That's nuts. That's nuts. That this guy can't do his job in one hand and somehow also be a person of faith in the other hand. Somehow, one, one must overtake this. Ah! I think that there was, there was this movie like back in the 90s. I believe it was called Idle Hands. Correct me on this. And it was about someone, I believe, who is in an accident and receives a hand transplant from the hand of a person 
that was a murderer and a serial killer. Ah! And that hand has a mind of its own. Well, I feel like we're kind of at that kind of a place now within most Christians are kind of like, well, I'm hired to do a job, but I can't do that job because ah, I have a hand. It's a Christian hand. Ah, I can't control the hand. Ah. Yeah, it's that stupid. Yes, I realize I'm talking about this in the most asinine and idiotic terms because eh, it's kind of where we're at. Yeah, it is true. That's where Christianity is at right now. Can't walk and chew gum. Continue on. Same, same, same line of thinking. So let's kind of move up the up the food chain. Let's kind of move a little higher up here towards, uh-huh, uh-huh. Let's get to kind of a bigger fish. Let's talk about Mike Pompeo. Now, the Christian Post had an article entitled, I'll only read you the main point of it, Mike Pompeo at Megachurch, colon, I'm not going to read the colon part. But, you know, because I'm kind of mad that most of these Christian articles, they spoil everything. So, yes, Mike Pompeo at Megachurch via the Christian Post. So see if you can kind of spot here what I'm going after in my talk today. I'm going to quote from the article here. Speaking at the Prestonwood Baptist Church in Texas on Sunday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo stressed America's responsibility to model Christian behavior, and to be a light unto the world amid pressures from critics who say faith must be kept out of the public square. Okay. So, um, the pastor of this church has got, Jack Graham has said that Mike Pompeo is first and foremost, he's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and a believer in the Savior. And, the Mike Pompeo here, just really want people to know that, you know, America's foundation is a Judeo-Christian nation, right? Because, like, without Jesus, we wouldn't have murdered <laughs> thousands of Native Americans and enslaved people from Africa. That's just, you know, that's totally like Jesus. Wait, it's not Jesus. Oh, we were more, like, capitalistic and greedy. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Finishing, continuing on in here. Okay. Here's the one thing that Pompeo was saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Faith in the public square is not only lawful, but righteous. This faith is not only powerful, but required by the American tradition. The Pompeo said, is quoting the founding fathers, um, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion, and morality are indispensable support. So, Pompeo is saying this in a message in a church, our secretary of state giving a message in a church. Mm, yeah. He said the founding fathers put protection of human dignity and human freedom at the heart of the founding documents. I think he's right. Now, the fact that he's also trying to assert that our country reflects this, not so much. So again, we have somebody who is not the greatest at being able to do his job, be a competent secretary of state, because his faith won't let him. Ah! My monstrous hand! Ah! It keeps taking. Jesus, take the wheel! Arr! I can't drive because Jesus keeps taking the wheel. Because uh-huh. our faith, our faith keeps grabbing on and messing everything up. So, we talked about 
the head of the Federal Election Commission, <laughs> the Secretary of State, scary, all having this issue of not somehow being able to understand how to do your job, but also how to have a faith. It's weird. It's really not that hard. But, you know, let's look to someone who does Jesus stuff for a living and see how well they do the balance. So now we have Franklin Jehoshaphat, son of a bitch. I hate anyone that's not white. Graham, that Franklin Graham, remember him? Yeah, son of Billy Graham, who kind of hates a lot of people, but says he loves them Jesus style, but gets a little too excited and aroused when he keeps talking about people burning in hell. That Franklin Graham, oh, yes. None other. None other. He's kind of like Jerry Falwell Jr. with a little more self-control, hatred, and focus. And this article comes from Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post. So, called Franklin Graham, ahead of National Prayer March. So, okay. Here's, he's quoting. We're quoting Franklin Graham. I think there's a kind of bowling point here with many people. We've seen injustice in our streets and some of our communities. Frustration that people aren't heard. These people are marginalized. It seems that all of this is a boiling point at the same time, he said, noting that these tensions are accentuating, accentuated in an election year where politics often exploit the issues. Yet no one, no one can solve the spiritual darkness besetting America, he emphasized. Republicans can't fix it. Democrats can't fix it. Only God can, Graham asserted. God and his ways have been removed from the government, schools, and society more broadly when, when the country needs more, not less of him. He said, adding, the United States is crumbling. I don't see our nation able to go much further unless we repent and call on the name of the Almighty God. Okay. Frank Graham is taking a stance that I, I truly believe that in many ways, um, in my 42 years on this earth, I have seen this again and again. If you're older than me, school me. Maybe I'm wrong. But in my only years on this earth, what I've constantly seen is Christian leaders speaking about things in a spiritual manner. They don't speak about things as much in a, in a physical manner about how we can fix these things because here's what happens. Let's just go back to the Bible because when we talk about things in an overly spiritual manner, that ends up being a cop-out. All we need is prayer. If we only prayed more, if we only put God in school more, first of all, what does that even mean? So these are all things that, 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 that faith leaders like to say, but they don't really mean anything. Like, can you take God, move him from where he is at, he or she, and then over and put them in government. No. Or over in school and down here. No. What does it mean? They're meaningless words. These are meaningless words that pastors use, and it inspires people all the time. We need more God in government. If only we had this, God would be in charge. Huh? What does it even mean for God to be in government? Oh, you want people in government that believe that God speaks and acts in the same way as you do. So you want your version of God represented by this other a-hole to be in government. Right, 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 right. That's the kingdom of God. Wait, no, it's not. No. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Have as many prayer marches as you want, Franklin Graham. 
Say as much crazy crap as you want because that's your brand. That's how you make money. And you say that you're doing this for the gospel, for Jesus, for the kingdom, whatever, you're rich. You're doing this to continue your brand, to continue to do whatever you do. Um, but if we actually wanted to have a real conversation as adults about how to help our nation, right? And, and this, this, is a, this is a conversation that we're in a place, right, where it feels that we are fractured beyond means, that we are polarized beyond repair, that, that America has a great divide. And the answer to that, via Franklin Graham or others, is all we need is more God. God is the condiment that we need to shake on America's melting pot, and then it's going to taste amazing. Anyone see a problem in this line of logic? This line of reasoning? Even this kind of line of, like, ethical answers. So more God, more unknown super secret sauce is what's needed. We need the secret sauce that we won't tell anyone is, and that's what needs to happen to fix everything. So listen to me. I know what I need to do to fix everything for you. Keep following me. Keep giving me money, and that's how I'm going to fix it. Wait, Franklin Graham sounds a lot like a politician. Isn't that kind of weird? Huh? What? Huh? Wait. Huh? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. If we want to be honest. If 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 we want to be ethical. If if we want to be reasonable. When we talk about Jesus. Right. So 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 many people may say, oh, America, it's crazy, it's complicated, it's all of these, right? It's very, very complex. Stuart, don't make this easy. Well, I'm not going to make it easy. Because oftentimes people will be like, well, my faith is what tells me to vote. My faith is what tells me to act. Okay. And I hope it would. Now, I want your faith to tell you to be a good human being to others. That's what faith should do. I mean, loving, helping, serving others, that's kind of a big Jesus-y thing. I feel like there is, there's, there's a lot of people that would say they have a faith in American Christianity, and it gives them the right to be able to hate people, to be able to call people out, and to be able to denigrate and tear down people. That's what their faith lets them to do, because that's showing the love of Jesus reasonably. I am showing you love by calling out your horribleness. Doing it because I love you. So, very simple. Um, in a day that we were talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, here's why I call this, and this is going to probably get pissed off a bunch of my viewers. Um, and here's, here's what I've, I've, I've talked about this a lot of times on the show. So, I really feel like if to believe in the ways of Jesus is to also believe in the ethical ways of Jesus, to believe in the ways of what Jesus taught, right? but also to walk them out. Many times the church understands this idea of orthodoxy, right belief, but they have no idea what orthopraxy is, which is right practice. You need orthodoxy to inform orthopraxy. You need both working together. If you only have orthodoxy and you have no orthopraxy, if you only have ideas and you have no idea how to walk them out, <laughs> that's a problem. And that's where we're at. So one major issue that I've seen Christians denigrating, talking down about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 
especially even in her death, delighting in it by, by many, um, was the fact that she was a person that cared for women's choice and women's rights. And when you care for women to have a choice and women to have rights, many people get very upset because then that comes down to, does a woman have to choose, have the right to choose about the decisions that she makes for her own body? Now, for the last, I don't know, however many millennia, we've kind of lived in a world that's fairly patriarchal. If you don't know what that means, <laughs> man-driven, man-centric, man on top, right? So the idea that women haven't really had a choice to do about what they do with their bodies, yeah, that's kind of been a lot of history. Louis Bader Ginsburg believed people should have the choice to make their own decisions about their own bodies and about their own life. Which, again, you want to really get to, honestly, Orthodox Christianity? Mm, let's stick within that realm. Even, even, even evangelicals would understand that God gives us the right to personal choice. God gives us the right to personal choice. Not the government, God. So let's just lay that one there. Take that idea. Even when we're talking about reproductive health. When I begin to talk about the idea of being pro-life or pro-choice, many people get upset. And when people get upset, they tend to kind of play fast and loose with the facts. And when they start to dig their heels in, they start to look at the other side as being evil and they cease to listen. Because in this, in this whole issue and argument, in lies a problem. Okay, you have a subset of people saying, I believe that women should have the right to choose whatever they do to their own bodies. It's about autonomy and choice. And another group over here will say, oh, but I don't like people killing babies. Okay. Some people want to have the right to choose. Other people would say they don't like babies being killed. And then there's a whole other argument that we could get into about when does life begin, but that's not part of it. What I'm getting at here is I'm getting at both parties are talking past each other. We're talking around similar topics, but we're actually not talking about the same things. And then people begin to mix together morals and values and ethics all together, and then we're really arguing on many different planes. Okay, but the main issue, the main issue that gets heated at the center of all of this would be abortions. Or at least that's how Christians have made it the centrality issue here. So if we're going to just kind of discuss it from that angle, let's kind of talk about this. Let's talk about this and use some facts. Because when you look at statistics, when you look at statistics, again, in this conversation about women having abortions, again, the conversation can be about, are abortions okay? No. No. And other people are saying, well, I want the right to say yes or no with my body. I don't want the government telling me that. Different conversations. But let's look at this, okay? If we look statistically speaking about abortions, most of these happen along socioeconomic lines where people do not have proper health care. People do not have proper education about healthcare. People do not have uh, proper reproductive education or medicinal options, a.k.a. access to birth control and or doctors. So we see that people, when they don't have a, a basic human right as healthcare, that in those areas where people do not have 
basic health care, do not have the access to a doctor, that oftentimes we see a rise in, in abortions. So that's an issue right there. So if conservatives were, were really that concerned about saving lives, they would be more concerned about health care, that health care is a human right for most people. But we're not too concerned with that because this is more of a political argument, not an argument that happens in practice. Again, my issue, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, they got to play together. They got to play nice. They need to dance. So if you're going to condemn people, you need to give people an answer. You need to give people a solution. You need to give people another op option. I've told this story on the show many times. True story. Uh, I was a pastor working in another state on the other side of the world, of the United States. And um, and in the town I lived in, we would have these uh, pastoral meetings. And a conservative church, their pastors would kind of get up to brag about what they've been doing um, over the past month and talk about, oh, how many like abortion clinics they pick, uh, picketed. And when we were eating lunch during this pastoral lunch, I asked the pastor, I was like, so what are you guys doing to like help these women? Well, we show up and we really speak the truth of God to them outside this abortion clinic. Or P Planned Parenthood, really what it is. He referred to it as an abortion clinic. Um, and my question for him was, so you care about human life? Yes, he answers. Good. What are you willing to do? What is your church willing to do to care for the life of these unborn children? And he said, what do you mean? I was like, well, if you care this much, You'd have families in this church willing to almost quasi-adopt these, these young women to take care of them, to provide them health care, and then say, we care so much about life that we are going to take on this child after you give birth to this because we care about life. And his answer to me was very telling. That's too much work. That's just not going to happen. We can't do that. But see, when Christianity breaks down along lines of praxis, along lines of practicality, then you have to realize that your orthodoxy has gone wrong. If the church doesn't see itself as a place to be able to sacrifice itself for the betterment of others, a place that's supposed to be a hospital for those that are sick, come in, come in, let us help you, let us help you. That's not the church. The hell is the church? Christians will call out right now because of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. This is the time to fill this Supreme Court because we need the Supreme Court filled with conservatives. But at the same time, Christians are not willing to live out what it would take to abolish Roe v. Wade. And what I mean by that is this. If Christians truly hate Roe v. Wade, if Christians truly hate that abortions continue to happen in America today, if we really, 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 really care about life, they would be willing to sacrifice themselves. They'd be willing to go into communities to be able to provide health care, to provide other options, to provide uh, resources to be able to raise these children. But they're not. They care about life in an ideology. They care about life because their scripture tells them to care about life. They care about life 
in this abstraction. But when you tell people, your faith tells you to carry out this task in a very tangible manner, to sacrifice yourself, your money, your time, your everything else, because you care so much about life. But when that becomes too much of an impediment, my answer to that pastor and his followers is, if you can't do this, shut the f*** up and offer something you can do. Because you are only offering shame and hatred with no possible solution. If Christians truly, truly hate the idea that abortion exists in America, they can fix this, not by voting, but by living out the damn ways of Jesus. Going into these communities, helping these young women, helping them to get out of where they're at, helping them to get educated, helping them to live a better life, helping these children to live a better life. If we really cared about that, if we really cared about the betterment of all peoples, this would not be a problem. But we would rather put all of our faith in a Supreme Court justice to fix these things for us so I don't have to do it. Why, you may ask? Because modern-day American Christianity is lazy. And it's comfortable. And it looks like every other business out there around town, boys and girls. If we really cared about people, if we really cared about ethics, if we really cared about the kingdom of God, we would be doing things that would fix this. And we wouldn't worry and put and hang our faith on an election. Because we already knew, we would already know that we were already doing the work of God in our communities. God does not abdicate your responsibility because you vote for someone to do it for you. If we were to only get off our asses and love people the way that Jesus taught us to, the world would be a better place. After all this talk that we've had over the last hour, over, over politics, over faith, over what does it really mean to be someone that really follows out the ways and the teachings of Jesus. We've spent a lot of time in an ideological space. And the hard thing is when we, when we leave these ideological spaces and then go out into the real world. I, I began the hour talking about the life and the legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And what kind of is sad to watch at as, as we are still having eulogies on our breath, as we are, are still talking about the greatness of her life, in those same sentiments, in those same breaths, we are also seeing across the news this idea that, oh, we got to replace her. Everyone's getting replaced. We got to, who's next? Who's next? Who's next? That, that somehow that, yeah, 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 yeah. She was great. She was awesome. She was all this. Now what's happening next? Because all of this feels very right now and real and very immediate. And when the news came down about RGB's death, um, for me, I was like, <gasps> no! Not just, for the loss of her, but also because I know 
I know, I know the jackals are seething um, to do the things that jackals do. And I also know many times when we see the jackals in culture and society doing the things that jackals do, it can be very disheartening for all of us. But, but I was encouraged um, by the words, by the great words of a man. Well, actually, the great words of a man that reposted another man saying some great words. <laughs> yes. So my friend, Chris, uh, Chris Brown Maloney, thank you for posting the wonderful words of John Lovett. I will also mention that when you posted them, it made me excited because I thought you'd post <laughs> the words of John Lovett's line. No, not that John <laughs> So at least in this weird moment where I felt like very inspired and then also I had to laugh at myself because I had not fully read it. It was John Lovett, not John Lovitz. Either way, the words are true and they are beautiful, regardless if I'm an idiot or not and how I read it. So here, um, here is the inspiring words of John Lovett um, that came after the death of RGB. John Lovett comedian, and a podcaster. He said this, This is gutting and awful, but accepting something is a foregone conclusion is how it becomes one. No, McConnell doesn't care. That's the beginning of the story, not the end. We have to fight. And in these times, when we're able to celebrate the life of someone who fought for others, who fought for the marginalized, and in the midst of having a conversation about what does it really mean, like, ethically to be a Christian, like, how do we actually walk kind of this through? What does it really mean for us to do this in the world today? Ha-ha! <laughs> we have to fight the good fight. The ethical fight, the fight in a loving manner, but the fight to be able to do justice for those that need justice, because we all need a little justice living in Trump's America today, right? We all need a little bit of good news. We all need to figure out that government actually works just a little bit and the law kind of works just a little bit for ordinary folks. Yeah? I'd like a little bit of that. But as we come to the close on our show, um, just a reminder as we end this, this broadcast that you can catch this show and all our shows on podcasts at www.snarkyfaith.com or anywhere you want to find stinking podcasts, just look up this wretched show. <laughs> just look up Snarky Faith. And I'm going to end this in a bit of a weird manner. Uh, not weird, because I do end this oftentimes in our little pop liturgy sessions. Uh, but this is a weird pop liturgy that has been in my head all week. And I have been having, I have this massive like 80s, soundtrack list on my on my phone that I'll do a lot of times especially when I'm doing yard work because you know you need a little 80s music to get you through and it's and it's, a, it's a very large list of many very many songs so I don't often hear the same ones twice very often and this little gem I forgot I'd even put it in there came up and it comes from a show back in the 80s it's a little cartoon movie called Transformers the Movie Mm -hmm. I'm dating myself horribly, but I remember this is like the first time I ever watched a show that it was a cartoon that like made me like cry in like a real way. Like I'd cried when I was like little during like 
you know, Fox and the Hound. Oh, I'm like five and this is sad. Or like, oh, E.T. Oh, that kind of cry. But like, you know, when you're like almost like a teenager, almost or pre-teenager and your Transformers friends are dying on screen, then you're kind of a kind of like a little sniffle sniffle. Like if I knew I'd pour a little beer out for my homie that just went down. And just in the same way that one of our homies went down, we pour out a little bit, pour a little bit out of our beer here. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and our last little pop liturgy, meant to inspire you to be the best you, to do great things, because people need you being you. I know that sounds weird and trite, but I'm also saying this. You being at your best in your own space is what Christianity is about. It's about you being amazing to those around you. You being kind of a Jesus-like character to those of your neighbors and in your community, right? You don't have to be on the Supreme Court to do it. No, just go be amazing in your own space. Does that make sense? Yes. So, that was a huge buildup <laughs> for something that probably should not have been built up. But I'm going to lead you with this. The classic song from the classic movie... Transformers, the movie, the song, The Touch by Stan Bush, which coincidentally was also sung by Mark Wahlberg in the film Boogie Nights. So that should definitely be included uh, in our closing pop liturgy of the show. But hey, 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 don't be thinking of Dirk Diglinger when I'm talking about this. So these are very 80s. But somehow they've been in my head lately. So, you know what? Take it for what it's worth. You've got the touch. You've got the power. And when all hell's breaking loose, you'll be riding the eye of the storm. And you've got the heart. You've got the motion. And you know that when things get too tough, that you have the touch. And in all weird 80s manner, what I'm just simply telling you is, you are the person that is in the right place at the right time in your life to be the person that other people need. So whatever this means to you, <laughs> um, continue to do good in your own space. Things may seem crazy in the world around us, but that does not relegate you from being a cause for hope for those that need it. So be the best you that you can be because others around you are going to need it. These are crazy times that we are in. And just remember, hey, you've got the touch. And, and I'll also send you out with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. Use who you are. Use your personal touch to make the difference that needs to be made in the space that you live in. That's all I've got this week, and I'll catch you guys again next week. I'm out of here. Peace!
Hey, guess what? You're still here. I just wanted to give you a little treat. A little bit of the Christian crazy that didn't make it in earlier. So forget all those cool kids that hung around and left. No, no, no. This is some top choice. Christian crazy on the black market on the DL. The down low just for you. Mm-hmm. Should have been on the show, but we didn't have enough time. We were talking about meaningful stuff and not crazy drivel like this. But if you're still here, I know you like the drivel. You're here for the nuts, the crazy. Mm-hmm. You could take your peanut butter creamy, but you prefer it nutty. You're that kind of person. Well, I'm going to reward you with this. I'm going to give you a nice nutty peanut butter sandwich with Rick Wiles from True News. Yes, you got him earlier today, but you get your bonus Rick. No one ever gets to say that they get bonus Rick. But today, you do. It's all about you. Pat yourself on the back. You're a winner. What have you won? Rick Wiles having a hard time understanding Kamala Harris's name. And how can she even have a name? Because babies and names and what? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bonus, 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 Christian crazy. And then I promise I'm definitely out of here. Her name, Kamala, she was named for a Hindu goddess. Is that who we're electing? A Hindu goddess? Look, if my mom and dad named me for a Hindu god, I would go to a court and demand, <laughs> I would want a Christian name. I, I wouldn't want to go through life with a Hindu god name. I'd want a Christian name. Because to me, it would be a curse to, be, to go through life named for a, a, a false idol. And for those named Rick... I mean, which is derivative of Richard, which is also shortened to Dick. Hey, I, I, don't, I don't know how you've lived with that for all of these years. Like, I look down. Does everyone, does every man look down and see their Richard? If my name was Richard or Rick or Dick or Dickie or Dickinson or Dixworth or Dickstasius, I would also go and change my name. So very good point here, Rick. All of us who do not fully love our names or agree with our names or have deep faith in the entomology of our names, uh, we should all change our names because the names that we did not choose on our own but still are given and we live with because we have identifications and social security numbers and credit cards and things like, yes, yes, even credit scores. All are tied to our names. Kamala should have changed her name just as 
Dick Wiles should have changed his name because that literally sounds, I mean, if you think of this, he's Rick Wiles, but he's very almost Dick Wiles. He's like Ditchard. Uh, Dick Wiles, that, that does sound like the name of a pornography, but yet if I had a name that sounded like almost the name of pornography, I would, I would change it. I would, I would get rid of it. I would, I would say bye-bye name. Farewell. I'm getting rid of you and I'm going to have a show. It's all about true news, but I'm not going to spell it like that. I'm going to spell it T-R-U news because I care about how things are spelled because if I don't spell it T-R-U-E, it doesn't have to be true because T-R-U is really nothing. It's just gibberish. Thank you. Good luck and good night.